0: well good morning my name is Bob Yoder I was recently added to the scripture reading team and so it's my privilege to read for you uh, from the scriptures this morning the reading is found in Colossians 1 verses 13 through 23 Uh, turn there in your Bibles if you would like to follow along Colossians chapter 1 starting at verse 13 He who has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Bob, thanks for reading. It's always nice to add somebody to our um, our list. If that's something you're interested in doing, uh, would be want to partake and be a part of that ministry, talk to David Buving, uh, our worship pastor, who... Uh, We'll get you set up, and glad to hear another voice up here today. Well, as you heard that passage, we have an absolutely incredible passage to walk through today. Uh, I probably won't do it full justice uh, in today's message. We'll return to it sometime in the future when we go through the book of Colossians as a church. But wow, what a passage we have, and what an explanation of the gospel. We're in the middle of our series that's explaining the gospel. It's even more than you hoped. And today we come to the third chapter out of four, really, that we're talking about of this gospel story, and the third chapter is the heart of the gospel. This week we answer the question, what will make things right in this world? By looking at Jesus Christ, at his life, at his death, at his resurrection, and the reconciliation he brings, not only to just humanity, but to the entire cosmos we're going to examine three concentric circles of gospel reconciliation today. Let me just give them to you up at the top. You'll see in your outline, I encourage you to fill in on those circles you've got in your outline there, to write them in, these three words. The center circle, personal, then corporate, and the creation. The personal, the corporate, and all creation. We're going to look at the impact of the gospel reconciliation on three circles. Imagine like a giant rock. Many of you have taken giant rocks, you know, taken them at our, our local rivers and tossed them from the shore out into the center. And they hit and make an impact. And there's these, this ripple effect out from the center rock that's been thrown in. The gospel, too, has ripple implications and effects from the center. The first is the personal Reconciliation, you see, in the center is the heart of the gospel, as Jesus Christ saves personal sinners on the cross by his death and by his resurrection. And actually, circle two and three don't really make any sense without number one. They don't even make sense, and they're actually not even possible without number one, apart from number one. The second circle is the corporate. We are not just reconciled to be an individual Christian, but towards a towards something, towards the body of Christ, reconciled to each other corporately. And the third circle out from the center is the creation. You could actually write there cosmos as well if you wanted. This gets at our missional, our great commission posture as we're called to go out and make disciples, go out and incarnationally body, live out the implications of the gospel. But it also reflects... The cosmic nature of Jesus' redemption over sin, over death, redeeming creation, and bringing a kingdom as the ruling and reigning king over the cosmos. It's the big story of the Bible, too, that we've been talking about so much in this series. So let's look more specifically now at each of these three circles. But real first, a quick recap of the four chapters. Remember, we're attempting to weave together the two gospel views the one is the street view down low where we view things on a kind of day-to-day, down-to-earth, detailed view. And in that view, our chapters are God, man, Christ response. We're on chapter 3, Christ today. Um, the second view was the Google Earth view, if you remember, the 10,000-foot view. We began by looking at pictures of Canby actually from Google Earth. Looking down a couple weeks ago, this is the larger the grander, the sweeping epic story of the Bible that the personal story is being uh, married to, welded to, brought together. And these four chapters that coincide with the Google Street View are creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And our attempt in this series is to weave these two stories together, answering these questions, where do we come from? What went wrong? What will make things right? How can I be made right? This morning, as I said, we're looking at this how to be made right, but we we began by answering the question, where do we come from? By exploring the mountainous heights from where we began in the garden as image bearers. Given life and identity and purpose to, to shine God's glory out from the center tree of life of the garden, out to the world. God's glory as royal priests spreading out. Last week, we looked at how great the fall was. By examining what took place at the center of the garden, do you remember? And the great exchange that took place when we didn't just break an arbitrary rule don't eat that tree. It wasn't just an arbitrary rule. We took God out of the center. We put ourselves there, desiring to be God. So the sin of eating the tree at a heart level was about wanting to be God, act as God, live as God, and it broke everything in the world. From humanity to relationships with God to nature itself, all. This morning we're going to look at, as I said, how to bridge that chasm, that canyon between God and humanity and the spiritual and physical death that has resulted from Adam's sin. So hopefully you've got your outline, you've already started filling in some circles. So let's now look specifically at our first circle. We are personally reconciled to God by Jesus's, I'll give you lots of time to write these, substitutionary, atoning, sacrificial death on the cross, say that to end times fast. (laughs) But each of those fill in words as you write them down is absolutely crucial for understanding the gospel this morning personally reconciled to the center circle now to god by jesus's substitutionary atoning sacrificial death on the cross i love our colossians passage because it's one of the great passages in the bible that gives us not only the street view of the gospel but also the google earth view of the gospel it brings the two together like we're trying to do in this series well, we'll begin with a street view where it says in verse 14, if you still got your Bible open there, of uh, Colossians 1, verse 14 says, we ha- In Him we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. And then look over at verse 21 to 23. And you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He, that's Jesus has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and in which Paul says he became a minister. Uh, we got the personal circle now, the inner circle of personal reconciliation. So our, in these verses, our big theme gospel words here, forgiveness. Of sins, redemption, Paul says in those verses, reconciliation by Jesus' body, by his death, to be made purpose holy, through faith, Paul said, all under the big banner of hope. See how Paul laid that out there? Just how so perfectly that personal street view level of what Jesus has done for you. But before we unpack those three words, uh, those three big words there. Here's a few things we need to understand what the gospel is and isn't first. The gospel is more good news than advice for your life. Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians that David read today, for I delivered to you as of first importance, first importance now, what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The gospel is much more good news than advice. The gospel, he says there, it's something he received. He got it. It was given to him, he, like he gave to Timothy. It was something he received. It was done. It was something historically accomplished. That's the gospel. Christ died for our sins. Let me say it another way. Christ died for sinners. Or another way, God saves sinners. That's the gospel. It's not necessarily about, you got to hear this today, how you live your life. That is confusing what the gospel is with what the gospel does. Does that make sense? What the gospel does versus what the gospel actually is. Of course, the gospel changes everything it changes your heart from the inside out. It does lots in your life. The gospel should change how we love others, how we parent, how we use our money, how we use our time. It should cha- change how we respond to poverty or oppression in our neighborhoods. It should change how we forgive, it should change how we serve. But that's what the gospel does. It's not what the gospel is. There's a difference between the two. It's the good news of an accomplished event. That's the gospel now. It's like a herald who returns from war. Think back now to those great movies, Lord of the Rings, or any medieval type movie, or Braveheart, those movies where there's kings and they send their troops out to battle. And imagine the herald comes running back from the battle line. He comes running into the castle and the king says, what news of the... Battlefield, young page, right? And what if he said, I mean, yeah, it's going pretty well, I guess. Like, we're trying our best. And uh, sometimes it's working out, and, you know, other times it's not. uh, I mean, you should have seen Theodore. He was doing pretty good out there. Uh, He was doing good. I mean, what would the king say? Off with his head, you know, get this guy out of here. No. A herald returns and says, Victory has been won, my Lord. It's won, it's finished, it's completed, it's done. The enemy has been defeated. He is slain on the battlefield. We are victorious in the gospel. It's something that is. It's been done. It's been accomplished. It's what it is, not what it does. And if it's good news, like a herald Like a preacher, like a disciple, it is to be announced. It's not what necessarily does in your life. It's what is. It's what's happened. The result is what it does. So let's unpack. Personally reconciled to God by Jesus' substitutionary, atoning, sacrificial death. Let's unpack these words which absolutely make Christianity unique absolutely unique. I've said this before, but I have to say it again, and I'll probably say it again. Every religion says, every other religion now, every other religion the Christianity says, live this way, and God will be in debt to you. Or live this way, and you will be right with God. It says do, 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 do. Only the gospel says done, done, done. It's what is. It's what is. The gospel says you've been made right with God. The heralds proclaimed it. Victory is done. You've been right with God at Jesus in the cross. It's done, done, done. So now live this way in light of that. Do you see the difference? Christianity is absolutely unique in the world, and I think that speaks to its validity and truth. Well, why do we need to be personally reconciled? That's our first word there. Why do we need to be personally reconciled? Well, remember from last week, we aren't just guilty of sins, but sin. It's just not on us like a stain on my grass, stain on my knees after gardening. No, it's in us and, and through us, we said, like buckshot from a shotgun shell meant to kill large game. It's, it's riddled throughout. We're riddled. And Jesus even said that, Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, inside the heart. Murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. That's why we need to be personally reconciled. Look at Colossians one twenty one in our passage. Paul says we were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil, broken relationship. In fact, he says hostile to God. The Bible goes further and even says hated God. Doing evil. It's absolutely comprehensive. It doesn't mean you're as evil as you could be. By God's common grace, nobody really is. But it does mean that comprehensively, every part of us mind, body, will, emotions, everything has been tainted by sin. And take it one step further you're born spiritually dead. That's pretty comprehensive. And one thing we know about God is his character. He's holy and full of glory, and he cannot look favorably on sin. In fact, the Bible says his response is righteous, holy, anger, wrath, that without Christ ends in hell, which is conscious, eternal punishment forever. So we must punish sin. It must be dealt with. And I know upon saying those words, somebody here is responding today, maybe multiple people thinking, well, you know, here we go, all this hell stuff. I knew that they, that's just what they're obsessed with. You might respond, well, you know, I hear you, but I believe in a loving God. I believe in a loving God who won't send people to hell for their sins and won't get angry like that. If that's your thought or view today, here's two things for you. Two things. Number one, first, God's anger is not like ours. Think of our anger, or or think of a a tempestuous rage of a toddler who breaks out in anger and takes his brother's arm and does what? (laughs) Crunches down on it. Or, Or think of our own tempers when they break out of control and we start yelling. Our anger is tempestuous, it's, it's, it's capricious, it explodes, doesn't it? It builds up like the water in that bottle I shook last week and just comes out, as Jesus said in Matthew, it's out of the heart. God's anger and wrath at sin is different. His is absolutely in holy control. It's not like he just uh, and zaps, like breaks out of control like we think of our own anger, He's not like that. It is the way he has to respond to sin because he's holy and he's got an absolute distaste or hatred for sin. Let me see if I can help us with an illustration to understand this. Um, I was recently at Pastor David's house and uh, I guess a little uh, preface here. I mean no offense to anybody who's from Dutch background in the room Meaning anybody with the last name that starts with a B that's not Burnham, so Buving, um, I really don't. Uh, but I was at Pastor David's house um, a week or two ago, and he had something really interesting on his table, uh, some interesting looking candy on his table, and it looked like it looked like black licorice, and it was covered in, in sugar. And so I asked David about it, and he said, it, "Yeah, it's, it's our favorite Dutch candy. It's called uh, Zoot. Did They say that right." A Dutch favorite. It's like a, a black licorice candy. I think you kind of said it. It's an acquired taste, you know. And now I proceeded to proudly, proudly <laughs> take a piece. I like new flavors. I like black licorice. And I, I thought, well, I'll try some. And it was a big piece, like that big. So I, put the, I just popped the whole thing in. Well, imagine my surprise when I put the candy in my mouth and found out that dubelzut uh, doesn't mean... Double sugar, but double salt. (laughs) I ran to the kitchen trash to my embarrassment and spit it out right in front of everybody who was there. (laughs) Like I said, no offense to David and his family, but it was a, a, a taste I wasn't expecting. It was actually at that moment offensive to me. And I had to spit it out. I could not handle it. Sin is way more distasteful to God than any shocking flavor you've ever had that was, sorry guys, repulsive to me in that moment. He must spew it out. He can't have anything positively now to do with it. That's the kind of anger, distaste, opposition to sin. And because the wrong has been done to, against him, it must be taken care of. So secondly now, if that was your view, ah, I don't, a loving God, I don't think he would really be angry at sin or punish it. Second, here, would God be loving actually if he just excused sin? Think about that. Those who say, well, I believe in a loving God. And if, if you can actually take these ideas to somebody who is saying, well, I don't believe in all that stuff. Would God actually be loving if He just excused sin? Can you imagine if He just kind of looked at us, you know, some of the things we've done or some of the, the worst things that have been done in this world? And he's kind of tussled us on the head and said, Ah, buddy, kicked us on the pants as we walked by and said, Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You know, don't even worry about it. Can you imagine that? Think of all the things done in this world, the horrific events of the 20th century, even the 100 years of the 20th century. And and if he looked at all those wrongs and just dismissed it holding no one or nobody or anything or any group accountable for anything is that loving? Would that be a loving god actually? Or imagine this, let's say there was a convicted murderer standing before the judge and upon hearing his sentence which was life in prison he said, "But judge, I'm really sorry." And the judge said, "All right, sentence done away with. You're all good. You know, step out of this courtroom. You're all good." No way. Why? Because deep down inside your heart, you know that someone has to pay when a wrong is done. You know that. You just, it's instinctively wired inside us. When a wrong is done, someone has to absorb the cost. Someone's got to absorb the cost. It's the very reason the first thing they did in the garden was what after they sinned? Pointed fingers. Because deep down inside their heart, they knew... This was wrong, and someone's got to absorb the cost. Think about that. Think about this. When you forgive someone too, doesn't it cost you? Remember the first time one of your children got so angry at you, and they turned to you and they said those three words that no parent ever wants to hear, I hate you. Now what you wanted to do, hopefully, you didn't do, what'd you do? You absorbed the cost. You didn't push them away. You didn't disown them. You didn't throw them out of the house. Actually, what did you do? Maybe it took some time, but you forgave them. You absorbed the cost. Somebody's got to pay the cost. Let's say someone robs you, you find out. To forgive them means you won't get even or pay them back. If someone robs you of money, of your reputation of your happiness, all things that each and every one of you have had stolen from you at some time. We can do two things. We can either forgive them by absorbing the cost or we can make them pay back. You know it. When a wrong is done, someone's got to pay the cost. It's going to either be the forgiver or the person who did the wrong. So what if the person we've wronged is the eternal cosmic judge of the earth? What do we do? We need a substitute. Substitutionary. We need a substitute. We need someone to pay. Someone to atone is the word. Someone has to absorb the cost. And Jesus does that by giving his life. Because think about it. As a finite human, how are you going to pay a debt to an eternal omnipotent, all-powerful, perfectly holy being. How are you going to pay a cosmic debt? So Jesus becomes the God-man, is the gospel. So he can represent us like Adam did in the first Eden. You know, some say, that's not fair. I didn't ask Adam to represent me. Well, guess what? You didn't ask Jesus Christ to represent you, and aren't you glad he does? He represents us. And he is God. Here's why God-man is so important. He's God so he can pay a cosmic, eternal debt. A human could never do that. A perfect, spotless lamb could never do that. So Christ dies in your place and pays your sin, taking on God's wrath at your sin and sacrifices his life for you. So he's God so he can pay an eternal, cosmic debt. And he's human so he can represent humanity. You and I. Let me see if I can um, illustrate this. I've been trying with each of these four chapters to do some kind of visual for those who are visual learners. So let's think about this idea of absorbing the cost. And I've used this example before. I think I've just talked about it, though, and not actually done it. So I thought, well, it'd be good to do it in front of people so we can get this picture. I want to talk about the idea of God's wrath and absorbing the cost. So imagine this water pitcher. We've been using water every week. I don't know why. Jack, watch out. I won't, I won't do it today. Because um, what's inside this is actually God's wrath, pretend. <laughs> so I won't pour it on you. This is, I Think at this picture of, wa- a pitcher of water. And imagine the water inside, it was God's wrath. Okay? That's his opposition towards sin, his distaste for it. Remember? Spewing out of his mouth. And I know this is a horrible uh, image or metaphor, but uh, for, for sake of this image and this example, imagine Jesus Christ being this sponge. And at the cross is where this happened. At the cross in that moment, the substitutionary atoning sacrifice for you took place. And here's what God did at the cross, okay? He, the wrath was here and he poured it out on Christ, so that the sponge absorbed the wrath. The sponge absorbed it. Christ absorbed what you and I deserved. That is the gospel. Something done. Something that is. You give him your sin, he pays. He gives you his righteousness that is the gospel. Colossians 1:20 in our passage look down at it says he makes peace between God and humanity by the blood of his cross. That's how things get put right. That's the answer to the question. That is how Eden 2.0 begins. Remember the big story? That's how things begin to be restored. That's how the center is being repaired. God has asserted his kingly rule and has opened a way for new subjects to come back in. That's the gospel. And he did it at the cross. Take a look at a few verses. Here's another place where it's explained so beautifully by Paul. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What's the problem? There it is. But, but, that's the best word in the Bible, You can be justified by His grace as a gift through redemption, right? Atonement, paying, sacrifice. That is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. This is the best image I've ever thought of as the word propitiation or heard. An absorbing of wrath. To be received by faith, that's how it's made your own, this was to show, this is so important, look at this, God's righteousness Because in his divine forbearance, he's passed over former sins. That's Old Testament before the cross. It was to show his righteousness, his holiness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What does that mean? How how does he remain just? If he just tussled us on the head and kicked us in the pants and said, don't worry about sin, he would be an unjust God. So he's got to stay just, all right? But there's this big chasm between humanity and I ever since the Garden of Eden. So how do I become the justifier and bring them back and make them righteous? I do it in the center at the cross. So at the cross, justice and righteousness, peace. The severity of God and the tender mercy of God, kiss. Both. And he gets to stay true to his character and be just and the justifier. So there's our first circle. Good news that was lost in Eden has been restored. So the place as royal priests that we lost has been given back to us through Christ. A new kingdom is breaking in and restoring things. Back to our concentric circles. We'll go quicker on the, the second and third. Remember I said second and third don't make sense without the first. We took the longest on it. Once you find reconciliation there personally, what happens second? You find re- reconciliation with all God's people, the corporate circle. Let's take a look at it. We are corporately now reconciled to each other in the body of Christ as we are transferred to the kingdom community. We're corporately now reconciled, so personal to corporate, as we're transferred now to this new kingdom community. Verse 13 of Colossians 1, after you fill in those words. He has delivered us, or maybe think transferred us, from the domain of darkness, and He's transferred us, there is that word, to the kingdom of His beloved Son. So not only personally have you been saved, something's happened on a larger level now, the second circle, to you. When we come to know Christ, it is by the Holy Spirit giving us a new heart. We call it born again, Jesus calls it that, regenerate through repentance and faith that loves God and trusts Jesus. But as that takes place, you are actually transferred from or to a new kingdom, from one to another. As our heart becomes the place where Jesus reigns now as the true king, you are transferred to a new kingdom kingdom, Paul writes in verse 13. We're new citizens. So it's not just personal. It's larger. New citizens of a new kingdom. And the new citizens are called the church, the local church. That's why we call it the, the gospel outpost, uh, the expression of that new kingdom, the expression of Eden 2.0. It's an imperfect one, but it starts here. It's here in our midst. Think a postage stamp or or an embassy in a foreign country where where we now as the church begin to live like the new kingdom here on earth. Here's some of the implications. That means you're not saved to be alone, to, to walk alone, to live alone. The idea then, That church now, bigger than just here right now, the idea that church is actually just about Sunday attendance is primarily actually quite ridiculous, or very short-sighted at least, let's say. Don't get me wrong. It's important what we're doing here right now. We're called to do it. We open God's Word corporately and we take communion corporately and we baptize publicly. But new kingdom living and life together, the way the Bible describes it, the way the book of Acts describes it, is so much more than this hour and minutes, whatever, hour 15 minutes that we do on a Sunday. It is so much more. That's why the New Testament knows no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian it's just not even, it wouldn't even be on Paul and Peter and the apostles' radar. A lone ranger Christian detached from a local church setting does not exist in the New Testament. It just wouldn't even been in their mind. To be a Christian is to be in the body. That's what that means. It's not just church attendance, which means we need to be eating meals together. Coming out of this COVID junk, eating meals together. Studying the word in small context together, calling each other for help, letting people into your struggles like the Tysons did this morning when they texted Jack and I and said, pray for us. Pray in church for us, they even said. Praying and caring for each other. Now imagine for a minute, how many immigrants come into our country year after year? Think about how, what a strange experience that must be like for them. Have you ever traveled to a foreign country and gone abroad and you just know that, uh, you, know, you, you know, you're going to say something wrong or do something wrong or eat the wrong thing or spit out the wrong piece of candy? You just, you know, you're going to do it. Now, imagine if we just like thought of the church that way and thought, well, I'm going to become a Christian, but I'm not going to immerse myself in the culture and the people and the kingdom and the group. Like, of course, if you're new to church, it's going to feel weird, Right? Of course, if you become a new Christian, it's going to be weird. You're entering and transferring from one kingdom to another. And just like an immigrant to a nation, a lot of times wants to learn, well, let me figure out how to like at least survive and like fit in a little bit and kind of know what the lay of the land is like. That's why we need each other. Common gospel language, common gospel culture. This has to happen and continue to happen here at at Bethany Church let me say this I'm gonna say it clear it's kind of clear and abruptly you are not living the life God wants you to live if now if your only connection to Bethany Church is a quick Sunday morning I know that's kind of harsh it's pretty clear and bold but you're not actually living the New Testament, New Kingdom, body life that God wants you to live if now, if your only connection to Bethany Church is a quick Sunday morning in and out. Don't fool yourself. You're not growing if you're not attached to this body in some real meaningful way. It it doesn't work, actually. To the kingdom community restored in christ we can't do this body of christ thing alone is what that means we're not capable think of a burning fire in your fireplace in your fire pit in your backyard out out around at the campground with a tent there and it's a it's there and it's all these hot coals and embers and pieces of wood that have been burning for a couple hours and they're there tight in the pack there and they're they're glowing and they're warm and they're giving off heat and and energy and light and just lighting up the place you know, it's the close connection and proximity of the coals, where at least oxygen can get in, right? That keeps it going. What happens to a coal that falls off the fire? Kind of stumbles off to the side as the wood breaks down, you know, as it does in your fireplace. Apart from the others, it can't share the heat, it can't give the heat, it can't receive the heat. And apart from the loss of protection of the whole, what happens? It fades it burns out and actually disappears. And in a few short minutes, you can't see it anymore even. That's a picture of life in the church and what happens when you think you can live without Christian community. You fade away. You cool off. It's not possible. If you knew this to be true, I mean, wouldn't you take advantage of I mean, every resource your local church offered, within reason, to stay close to the burning logs? And if you aren't, ask yourself the question, why not? Why not? That's why our elders in this church call us to close proximity and covenant membership in life groups, in Sunday adult seminars, in men and women's groups, but I can't tell you how few people actually take advantage of those. It's small compared to the whole. This is discipleship. This is life together. It's awkward. It's weird. It's hard. It's messy. It's uncomfortable. But it's the way God has chosen to grow us. We want to trust him and his plan. We're going to be talking more about it in the fall. This is Life Together. We're going to talk more about discipleship in the fall and growth here at Bethany Church as we help people follow Jesus with some renewed efforts. But that's a bit today. It's our second circle. But the gospel reconciliation is even larger than that. Colossians blows this out of the water. Blows it out of the water. Let's look at all things now all creation being reconciled, we are reconciled to proclaim the reconciliation of all creation now in the gospel. I realize I'm going to go a few minutes over today, but this is the center of this whole series. So we got to hit this last point. Verse 15 through 20, pulls the camera now back. Remember I said this passage has a street view and a Google view verse 15 through 20 pulls the camera out for us to get a cosmic 10,000 foot view of Canby, right? But it's not just Canby. It's all creation view of the gospel here and its implications to reconcile all creation, not just individuals, but all creation now. It's not less than individuals being saved. We don't, want to, don't hear that, but it's also much more. Look at verse 15 to 17 with me. He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things. And how many times Paul can say it. And in him, oh again, all things... Hold together in him. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. From the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. This is creation scope. This is cosmic scope. This is more than just Jesus sitting in the car next to you as your buddy. He is that. This is Jesus, though, who is God, having created all things, being created by him and for him. It means the earth is not ultimately our playground. It's for Jesus' glory, it's for him. And all things hold together in him from the little fish swimming in an Oregon coast cave somewhere that nobody's ever going to see, to the beetle crawling on a tree on the top of Mount Hood. To the octopus tree out in Tillamook, to the hairs on your head, and the bald eagle soaring above Canby somewhere, all things were made by him, through him, and for him. That's a different way to look at the world, isn't it? We look at it as about us and for us, but it's for him. In fact, I think Paul's saying here is, if Jesus stopped for one nanosecond of holding it all together, I think it would instantly shatter into chaos and explode. I believe that. I think that's what Paul's saying here. And so reconciliation, that means then, is more than your personal salvation story, it's not less than that, but it's more. Paul goes on, as I, actually I read it in 18 and 20, to talk about that. That, that he's the head of the, the whole body now. The firstborn of all creation from the dead, he says. This is why we need both a street view and a Google Earth view. and A cosmic view. Because to stay on the street too long, which I think has probably been more the temptation in the evangelical church, to stay on the street view too long, is to turn the Bible and the gospel into only about humanity. That's the danger. Even as important as it is, because we are image bearers. But what it does is it reduces and diminishes Jesus' work if we stay on the ground too long. And it makes the gospel actually too man-centered and only about us. And what it does is it reduces the Bible as only a manual of how to get saved. It shrinks it down, truncates it, diminishes it. It causes us as well to ignore real, physical, tangible needs in the world. When we shrink it down to just about my salvation. Remember, it's not less than that, but it's more than that. If we forget, it's a rescue story, actually, of the entire creation of all things. A a recreating, a a restoring of what was lost to a better garden city. We need the Google Earth view of Colossians 1 as well to see that Jesus' salvation isn't just to rescue us out of this world or to give us an escape plan. The mission's actually the transformation of this world. It's a much different story, isn't it? And it makes our investment in the here and now even have eternal consequences. We need the Google Earth view, as I said. It's cosmic. Creation groans, even Paul says in Romans eight, and says it too will be reconciled, redeemed, and transformed to reconcile all things. Doesn't mean you can be reconciled apart from Christ, and doesn't mean apart from personal faith in Christ you can be reconciled. You can't. But it's all things through the blood of the cross. So the reconciliation spans the first circle now between God and man to the second kingdom community, but also to the third circle, a reconciliation between heaven and earth. So the cross then, it's not just a pebble in a pond, it's a giant boulder that breaks open the door back to Eden. We're a new Eden, a better Eden, a new covenant community that's here now in the church but will one day be realized in resurrection as Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. So what's our calling? Let's end with it. With Just a couple minutes here. We are mobilized to discipleship and mission. We are mobilized. We are to be, you could say, to discipleship and mission. If the gospel is both personal and, my salvation, and cosmic, then our mission, too, has to be personal and cosmic. Or you could say discipleship in the local church and mission out there. If all things are created for him to be reconciled, we should expect the gospel to take hold internally, right? It's the tiny circle. In a church, as we welcome people in to be discipled, But it should also then do the very opposite and turn us outward. Turn us outward to take the message of reconciliation to the world. And this is done in service and gospel proclamation. Loving neighbor in word and deed, the Bible calls it. Of course, that doesn't mean we're going to create a new Eden right here and now. Only Christ will do that when he returns. But it does mean as image bearers, as his heralds, as his ambassadors, as his royal priests now reconciled to him, we carry the unstoppable gospel. Do you believe that? You carry something pure and better than gold if you believe the gospel. And it is unstoppable. Wherever it goes, it transforms. Not only persons, but cultures. Individual lives and the circumstances of a town and city and how they live. It does both and nobody can stop it. Like light that can't be kept out of dark places. You carry a blazing torch if you believe the gospel. The fire of this world, the light of this world, Jesus Christ. We were never made to be static here in the garden or here in our little room of our sanctuary. We were never meant to be static. The garden creation mandate to Adam remains what was it? Be fruitful multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Do you see how this should impact our witness in the world? It's so much larger than just my personal salvation story. We've got to be concerned with Christians in both the spiritual and the physical needs of people because God's redeeming both. And God was body and soul, spirit, as Jesus came and took on a body. We are too. The material world matters for Jesus too, it means. We forget that if we only take it down to just the spiritual. He also died to redeem creation, to reconcile it. We're going to take it down a bit more practical next week, but at the very least it means this. quote from this guy, Vinath Ramachandra. Talk about all nations. He's a Sri Lankan. Uh, evangelist, pastor. So our salvation, he says, lies not in an escape from this world, but in the transformation of this world. You will not find hope for the world in any religious systems or philosophies of humankind. The biblical vision is unique. That's why when some say there is salvation in other faiths, so I ask them, "Well, what salvation are you talking about? No faith holds out a promise of eternal salvation for the world the way the cross and resurrection of Jesus too. There is not a place on the planet where the gospel cannot go and reconcile things. That's what today is about. The personal, the cosmic, or excuse me, the church, the corporate, and the cosmic. Let's pray. Christ, help us believe that your gospel truly has the power to save the individual, to build the church, and to impact the world and its systems and its groups and its nations. Lord, we want to believe that. All under the banner of hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Lord, show us at Bethany Church, even in this coming year, summer into fall, what that looks like for us. and Encourage us to realize we take with us the unstoppable gospel wherever we go and we walk out of these walls. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.